Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, into No Boundaries on Com Radio. Not on Com Radio today. We're doing a pre-recorded podcast because uh, we got booted out of our time slot last night due to the NBA draft coverage that was phenomenal. We do have to give a lot of credit to the Com Radio staff for all of their hard work on that. But No Boundaries, Episode 9, Connor Griffin, Zach Donaldson, here as always, here to run you through all of the latest news across all the sports. But as we just alluded to, Zach, NBA draft was last night. It was a huge day. And I think that's where we're going to start off today. But first and foremost, how you doing, buddy? You know, um, I'm doing pretty well. A little bit sleep deprived. You know, it just happens to be one of those weeks. I'm heading home for break today. Cool. Um, kind of got, got got all my, you know, everything. Had to cram it into four days instead of um, normal, I guess, five. Um, but I had a cup of coffee and we got an exciting show ahead. Still on cloud nine, talking about the NBA draft. Still on cloud nine for, from the from the Sixers, um, you know, what they came out of the the night with. So I'm ready. I'm amped, ready to go. We're both wearing our Ben Simmons jerseys. You're rocking the uh, the old, what are they called? They're not the city jerseys. They're like the 76ers. Statement? Is this a state, the statement one? Maybe. It might um, be the city one. I don't know. I can't keep track. There's like so many of them. It was the one that was inspired by the cars and everything like that mm-hmm. uh, back in the 70s. I am wearing the one, the alternative. The alternate red uh, that we wear on the road sometimes, but both wearing the Ben Simmons jerseys. I think with the moves that were made last year, or pardon me, not last year, last night, I think Ben Simmons could have the best season of his career next year, which is very exciting. We'll get to that in a second. But Sixers had a huge draft day. It started off with getting Al Horford out of Philadelphia. He's traded uh, to OKC for two well along with two draft picks for Danny Green uh Danny Green will now be a Philadelphia 76er some people I saw were mad about that I was like what are you talking about um and then there were three in my opinion very good draft picks by Daryl Morey uh the first one being Maxi, then Isaiah Joe from Arkansas later on in the draft and then Paul Reed uh to round the night out first two great shooters Paul Reed can shoot a little bit uh not it's not like he's a a primary shooter he's a power forward he's a big man but still great draft picks and then within the draft josh richardson was also dealt he was dealt away and in return the sixers get seth curry so i was very happy about all of that zach what were your thoughts about it because i was loving the entire night oh yeah i mean absolutely ecstatic i I feel like singing the Clap your hands, <laughs> yeah. everybody, for Philadelphia. I mean, Daryl Morey. I, I bow down. I bow down to you, Daryl Morey. I mean, what what a what a, what a sizzling start to his you know uh, position with the Sixers as the president of basketball operations. And I mean, you just kind of highlighted all the moves last night. I don't even know. I guess we could. I I could start with the Al Horford trade. That was the first one. Um, came completely out of the blue. I was about to leave. I hosted a portion of the the draft show last night. I was about to head out the door and it the I got I got the notification on my phone. I I screamed. <laughs> I legitimately screamed because it was just I was I was very surprised um that Maury swung a deal for or rather swung a, a Horford deal uh last night. I mean, I I expected him to kind of be patient with it and but like you um like you were saying OKC uh, that they, they, they wanted draft picks and um, in turn the Sixers wanted to, to to get rid of that contract and 
and it uh it worked out for for both teams um and it happened to be the other the other question i was asking myself was was which picks and i mean a, a 2025 um protected first obviously um was it 34 this year uh, we gave up in that trade I so, yeah, yeah i mean that's a that's uh, that's essentially a, a late first round pick but i mean just just getting rid of that contract and opening up so much flexibility the, the Sixers have to focus on the now and you know that was just you, you can't ask for, for for much of a better trade than that and then and then addition you know getting rid of that contract getting some good pieces back too uh, and Danny Green who's you know he had to, had some some rough spots in the NBA finals um but I mean he's pretty much like the quintessential three and D wing um in the NBA he's still a, a very valuable role player and um, Terrence Ferguson, too. I, I was asking myself, maybe Maury isn't done. Maybe he pl- he plans on using these assets to, uh, you know, in a package deal for a guy like Zach Levine, Buddy Heald. Something along those lines. We'll see. Absolutely. I mean, he's definitely clearing up a bunch of cap space that could mm-hmm. definitively lead to another big-time player coming to Philadelphia. That's the, the really reassuring thing to me is because, yeah, we're, we're getting all these shooters – but somehow we're <laughs> dipping less and less into the cap. Like it, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable how much money we're freeing up, even though we are adding people that are more beneficial to what we need as a franchise right now. It's actually reverse, but it's in our favor. Um, so that's great. I always think back to the Stephen A clip on SportsCenter when he's talking about the Lakers uh, trading Kwame Brown for, for Pau Gasol. <laughs> He's like, you know, listen, if you're a championship contending team, you're not worried about draft picks. They don't mean that much. And the Sixers, even the last year, obviously, was not uh, a championship contending team. The year beforehand, they were. And had they evaded a Kawhi buzzer beater and had they beaten the Raptors, they absolutely would have beaten the Bucks. And then who knows with the, the Warriors injuries that they had in that postseason, maybe the Sixers are NBA champions instead of Kawhi and the Raptors. So the Sixers are a championship contending franchise right now. Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, you can't worry about the future. You need to worry about right now. And a guy like Al Horford was stopping you from winning in the now. And he was preventing you from getting other pieces who could help you win in the now. So that was the issue. They find a way to alleviate that issue. They get him off the books. Yeah, didn't have a lot of leverage, but that's fine. I think they still had a deal that they still struck a deal that worked out very well. And Danny Green, if it doesn't work out, okay. He has a one-year contract. Well, two-year contract, just one year left on it. He's done after this year and you can let him walk if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, then Hey, you know, you got a three-pointer, a three-point specialist, as you alluded to a three and D type of guy. Another guy that I really want to talk about is Seth Curry. He comes over from the Mavs. And I really, really like this, especially compared to, what we have with Josh Richardson before. I would say out of the starting five, Josh Richardson to me was the guy I was most indifferent to. Love Ben, love Joel, hate Tobias, and I hated Al Horford. Um, I would say, yeah, I don't really have a problem with Josh Richardson, but with that being said, there was nothing that he really excelled in. Seth Curry excels at three-point shooting, something this team desperately needs. What are you thinking about the deal to swap Richardson and Curry? Yeah, I mean, I, I always um, – I liked Richardson. Um, 
but like you said, he he was he was good, but he didn't really excel at anything. Um, I I really did like like his energy though. I thought he brought it every night. He was a, you know, he fit really well in, in Philadelphia. I thought he was, you know, he was he was a dog. But in terms of, you know, fitting basketball wise, I don't. He he didn't really fit with the team. And and I mean, Seth Curry is just a brilliant fit. That I mean, if you look at the trade. Honestly, the 36 pick, which is essentially another late first rounder, Josh Richardson. Honestly, the, the the Mavs probably, you know, win that trade in terms of value, but in terms of fit, the Sixers blow them out of the water. I mean, he gives the Sixers exactly what they need. Um, an elite shooter, reliable ball handler, next to Ben Simmons. It, flawless. Just you can't get any better. I mean, and and then um, you might have you might have said it earlier uh, in the system too, but financially he's dirt cheap for the next like couple years until like 2023, I think. So I mean, you you really can't complain about this trade at all. Um, I saw I saw a funny stat on Twitter um, this morning. Seth Curry actually has the second highest career three point percentage of all time at 44.3 percent, sitting behind Steve Kerr. So I mean. Essentially, the Sixers got one of the best shooters of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this deal, and um, you know that's obviously what they needed um, going into this offseason. And you know, Maury, Maury's been killing it. He's killed it. Yeah, Josh Richardson was gonna most likely head into free agency after this year. Yeah. Was most likely gonna neglect the player option, decline it, and in order to re-sign him, would have been more expensive than what we're paying him now. I don't think he's worth any more money than what we're paying him now. He was going to most likely leave. We weren't going to get anything in return for him. We find a way to get rid of him now a year in advance. And we do get somebody in return for him who could really help out this team. So that's all good stuff. Uh, thoughts on the the draft picks in particular, which one you like best, which one you think is, is really going to shine in Philadelphia. I thought they nailed both of them. I mean, I was, I, I think Tyrese Maxey could end up being the steal of the draft. And once again, the fit with the Sixers is just phenomenal. Um, I, I saw the, um, I saw a clip um, after the draft. He was, he was really emotional, uh, you know, that he got the opportunity in Philadelphia and he said, you're not going to regret it. And I was like, mm, it just got me, it got me hyped because I don't, I don't think the Sixers will regret it. I think he's he, another perfect fit behind Ben Simmons very very complimentary he's 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 great in pick and roll i mean perfect secondary ball handler can can shoot um and then and then uh and, and isaiah joe as well another pure shooter um maybe you kind of consider him a, a i don't know a jj reddick type of player um but he but the thing is he plays defense as well he was a, a mid-second round pick and a lot of times you know those guys are guys who, you know, you stash in the G league or they have to work their way up from the, from the back of the bench. But I actually expect Isaiah Joe to have a, a pretty significant contribution um, this year. We'll see if he, he, he can live up to that as a rookie, but I mean, I, my, my words to him would be just like, let it fly. He's got a, he's got a gorgeous, gorgeous shot and he, he could really, really help out the team. Yeah. And Ben Simmons is going to love to have guys like that on the squad. I think Ben Simmons this year, obviously he, he's not where he should be, I think with his shot, but yeah. there is no question that he is a great penetrator 
and somebody who can then dish the ball back out to the perimeter. Problem was last year, he just didn't have any shooters and there wasn't a whole lot of spacing on the floor, which hurt him when it came to, to penetrating the lane. There was going to be so much spacing this year and so much room for him to get inside and then kick it back out to shooters who we didn't have last year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And you know, we, we mentioned it a little bit before, but there's still a chance that Maury goes out and grabs another star, whether it is a, a star shooter, who knows, but could be a star. And I, you mentioned Levine. Do you think that he is the most reasonable option or do you think that there's somebody else out there who could potentially, you know, come about because of it? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say he's the most reasonable option in terms of, you know, what you, what you would have to give up to get him. Um, and, you know, financially as well, people, I, we're, we keep harping on shooters, but I mean, it's, it's a shooters league and the Sixers have none of them. And it's, it's, it's the missing puzzle piece. And um, I think people under underrate uh, Levine as a shooter. Um, I, but I believe he shot. Oh, I don't know. I wish I had the stat in front of me, but I believe he shot 44% from three last season. I don't know. It was a very stellar number. And um, right, right up there with Buddy Heald, who, who many people consider to be, um, you know, a, a, a much better shooter, um, at least, you know, at, at first glance. But yeah, I think, I definitely think Levine would be, I mean, he could, he could, I don't know who, I don't know who would start at the two guard spot right now. Maybe Seth Curry, um, potentially, I don't know, Thibel, but I mean, if you can somehow put together some sort of package for Zach Levine and stick him in that, in that two spot and then have a starting lineup of Simmons, um, Levine, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It depends on who we would who we would uh, to trade for him. I, I was going to say Danny Green at the three, but I, I figure he might be included in that deal. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like Zach Levine would be just that would be you know the the cherry on top for this for this Sixers team, and I think that would really really put him in a great place to contend. Yeah, Harden Harden's out. That's definitive. Yeah, uh, that's not happening. I've been talking myself into Bradley Beal. Oh my God. I oh yeah. Love, I, would I, love I could get behind that as well, but I definitely agree with you about Levine. He's a better three point shooter than people give him credit for. I think the fact that we've come so uh, accustomed to calling him a dunker, we've seen him you mm-hmm. know, in dunk contests and everything like that. That's hindering his perception from changing. Uh, I think people should really wake up and realize, Oh yeah, no, he's actually a solid three point shooter as well. Aside from being just an all world dunker. But um, one thing you brought up, Thibel, I thought there was a very realistic chance that he got dealt last night. Still could, but if the Sixers find a way, if Maury finds a way to keep Ben, to keep Joel, and to keep Thibel, yet still add all these great shooters and create all this cap space to bring in another star, this would be an all-time like you know, orchestration from the front office. I would be all for it. Yeah. So, I mean, the Sixers were just a mess. I I pretty much deemed this this roster pretty unfixable. I was preparing myself for just you know a, a couple years of just purgatory right on the doorstep, not being able to you know punch the ticket uh, to the finals and then and then win it from there. But Daryl Morey, the the godsend, <laughs> like like you like you were saying, 
if he if he keeps if he keeps uh if he keeps this going, I'm, I might just build, have to build a shrine for him. Yeah, I've <laughs> uh, I, I I've talked myself into the Sixers at least winning the Eastern Conference this year. We'll see exactly how the rest of uh, the free agency and the trade market goes and everything like that. But definitely a lot of reassuring stuff going on in Philadelphia. Not a whole lot of reassuring stuff going on in State College with the Penn State Nittany Lions. They are now 0-4. They lost to Nebraska last week. Uh, I don't even have the final score on me because I don't want to look at the final score. I know that it was, it was 30 to 22. 30, 22, 23, something like that. Hmm. Um, I know Penn State had the chance to score and tie the game up on multiple occasions in the fourth quarter. Could not uh, seal the deal. And, yeah, they're 0-4. They face off against a solid Iowa team who has always been a thorn in the side to Penn State. They come back home, but that obviously doesn't change a whole lot because there are no fans. So, Zach, your thoughts on the team so far? And where do you see this going uh, this Saturday? Um, I mean, this I'll, I'll I'll take a look at at Nebraska first briefly. Um, I feel like I sound like a broken record talking about Penn State football this year. It's the same things week after week after week. I mean, you just look at last week. James Franklin was was harping on it a lot in the press conference. He thought the turnovers were was was the big you know, the big difference maker in the game. And obviously um, when you look, when you look at uh, wh- where they, where they occurred and obviously one was, one was scooped, um, scooped by the defense return for a touchdown. The touchdown ultimately ended up being a difference in the game. Um, but that really, that really boils down to, in my opinion, the slow start Penn state just, you know, can't, cannot come out of the gate that slow, that lethargic, just looking unprepared, not ready to play football, especially in the Big Ten versus you know a team who was who was also desperate for a win uh, in Nebraska, um, and I, and I, and I question Penn State. Um, I, I believe that they've deferred uh, the past couple of games where they've you know started slow, been behind, um, because you defer the defense isn't firing on all cylinders from the get go. You get, they get scored on. The offense hasn't, you know, found their groove. They turn the ball over. All of a sudden, you're down two scores right away. The opposition has all the all the momentum, um, and that's just that's just something extremely extremely difficult to overcome, especially in such this weird year. Um, another interesting thing I'll just note real quick: James Franklin said in the press conference as well that Penn State has had 39 false positive uh, COVID test this year. So there may be a little more to this, you know, dysfunction um, that COVID is contributing to than we know. Um, but yeah, the, I'll get back on track. The, the, the slow start through four games, Nittany Lions are being outscored 93 to 26 over the opening two quarters. Haven't had a lead in the last three games. That's just, that's just not gonna, not gonna get it done. And then, you know, last week Will Levis came in, gave gave the team a little bit of a spark, um, showed some flashes, some good, some bad. Um, but then I, I thought the, the the inefficiency in the red zone has been another thing this year, just keeps reoccurring. Um, I, I thought I thought the play calling was just extremely poor. 
uh, and the, the, those last two opportunities that Penn State had, just inexplicable throwing, con- continuously throwing fades to, to five, ten, five, eleven receivers, uh, especially when you have Pat Fryermuth, one of the best tight ends in the Big Ten. Um, it it just it makes it makes no sense, and it Penn State it's the same same stuff week after week, and and I guess. I feel like I just went off on a, on a big tangent right there, but this week versus Iowa, this is not the team. Uh, this is not the week where, where you get back on track because Iowa, you know, they, they've kept it close with Penn state in, in the past couple of years. Um, and Iowa's got, and, and they're reeling too, coming off a of two big wins, 42 to seven and 35 to seven versus Michigan state and Minnesota uh, pick, picking off, the, the opposing quarterback four times. I just can't see this, the, this Penn state offense, you know, really finding a rhythm. Um, we'll see who the starting quarterback is, but based on the, the performance, um, the performances this year, you know, this, this could, this, this Penn state might be looking at the first zero and five start in program history. Yeah. You brought up a lot of stuff there which is totally fine because I think there are so many different things that are wrong right now in Happy Valley. I would say the defense is the thing that concerns me the most and the fact that they are starting off so slow in games. Mm-hmm. You could say that's the other team. You know how lots of teams, especially the ones that are more inexperienced, they come out with a scripted first drive and maybe teams have found a way to figure out a scripted first drive that will work against Penn State. Because if you did notice, the defense did step up a little bit more as the game went on, especially in the second Definitely. half. Yeah, they were they were better in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, second half. I mean, they played solid and that allowed the offense once Levis came in to really chip away at that lead from got, the, uh, got their first I'm sorry. I was gonna say got their first turnover in 12 quarters. Yeah, no, it's true. Brandon Smith's interception. So that's the other thing. They're the turnover differentials is just another thing that's not not yeah. working in Penn State's favor. So I, I thought that once that initial couple drives went by defensively, defense did settle in. But the point is, they're still getting outplayed in those first couple of drives, and it's putting the offense in this terrible situation where they can't afford a single mistake. And obviously, there were multiple mistakes with turnovers that just – compounded onto the lead for Nebraska because Nebraska was able to take advantage of those after already taking advantage of the Penn State defense offensively. So that was an issue. The defense continues to start off sluggish. They're getting, I mean, absolutely driven down the field in those first couple of drives in both weeks, uh, in the past two weeks against Nebraska and against Maryland, two teams who really should not be taking you all the way down the field in their first couple of drives of the game. So that was an issue. Uh, you brought up the, the COVID testing and everything. The defense is the biggest sore spot for me right now, yet the two most important coaches on the defensive side of the ball were both sidelined this week because of false positives. That's an issue. <laughs> That's a big issue. The, yeah. Brent Pry and Terry Smith both had to be out of practice because they had false positives. And, of course, they yeah, obviously found out couple days later after they tested positive oh no i'm actually negative that was fake and it's an issue i don't know why it's only happening in this high numbers to penn state in terms of how many covid tests are turning out to be false positives 
It could be because they're testing more than any other school. Uh, I, I appreciate the safety aspect to it and everything. And you don't want to be a school like, you know, Wisconsin, where they had to cancel a game. There was another game canceled Maryland this week. Maryland has canceled back-to-back games, I think. Yep. Um, so you don't want to be those types of schools. But at the same time, I think the rapid and frequent and massive testing that Penn State football is doing right now is creating a situation where, yes, it's not being completely unsafe to the point where you're having to cancel games, but it's preventing you from winning games. Uh, that's the, the the line that you have to kind of, uh, I, I guess, teeter a little bit. It's whether or not you test so rapidly that you're going to create a situation where players and coaches are going to have to sit out because of false positives like Penn State is doing right now, or you don't test a, a whole lot and it creates a situation where you have these outbreaks and everything. So I, I don't know. I am torn on that, but I definitely think it's an issue. I don't want to say it's an excuse, but it's definitely an issue that Penn State has had to deal with more than any other team in the country. And it's partially because of how they've handled this whole situation. And then you brought up uh, the, the lack of a starting quarterback. I don't know if this is Franklin being coy with the media and not wanting to reveal too much. Uh, you know, not wanting to give his opponent an edge. It's got to be usual. It's got to be Will Levis, though. I agree. It's got to be Will Levis. Um, I I think that's, it would be not a mistake, but it would be extremely problematic if you brought out Clifford to start this game. And I, I think Clifford overall is a more talented quarterback than Levis. Last year, you know, there was a huge disparity when Clifford was in the game versus when Levis was in the game, even in the Ohio State game, for example, where Clifford struggled early on. And then Levis comes in and leads this team, you know, back into the game and there's a spark. You just watch the play calling and you watch how differently they play. Yes, Clifford was having a bad game in that game last year, but Levis was very limited, like was rarely passing the ball. It was mainly just, you know, quarterback draws straight up the middle. I think he's a more limited quarterback, even though he does have a rocket of an arm. Um, does he have the accuracy is, is what worries me. Yeah. Now, compared to Clifford's accuracy this year, I'm sure it's better. But at the same time, I, I don't think he is a permanent answer moving forward. I think he's a temporary answer to this problem that Penn State's have right now with the quarterback position. But I don't know exactly how that's going to go about later on. I don't know if you yeah. have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I <clears throat> I totally agree with you. Um based on how the season has gone, uh, how things have played out. Um, you know, look, Clifford did Clifford did some good things last year. I would argue that he even exceeded expectations. He had a great, year, yeah, he did a great first year um, as a starter, yeah. Absolutely. And then this year, he's just taken a massive, massive step back. Six interceptions through three and a half games, two fumbles, both returned for touchdowns. And he's made, he's made a couple of, you know, good runs, good throws, but – overall just wildly inaccurate um and even like like you said i don't think levis is is the permanent answer definitely not um he showed some good things versus nebraska uh found found pat fryermuth for that big 74 yard touchdown i thought he looked pretty good running the ball he's got a heck of an arm but like you said he's he's got to work on the accuracy the the touch um but in terms of this upcoming week i think you can't go back to Sean Clifford if you're James Franklin, especially now because his confidence has to be completely shot. And you just, 
at, at this point, like you, you need to give Will Levis another shot. Um, is he, is he the answer? I, I don't, I don't think so, but we'll see how he performs. If he does poorly, I keep asking myself the question, do you give take one Robertson a shot? I mean, at, at this point, uh, it, it, I, I guess one could say it's a lost season for Penn state. So, you know, is it time to, to, to look, to look to the future and give, give some young guys an opportunity to, you know, show what they're made of, see if they can shine. Um, I think I will take Juan Roberson beat out Michael Johnson jr. For that um, third string quarterback spot. He's, he's, he's done some good things um, in his football career. So yeah, um, this, this week, I think it has to be Levis, but we'll see. I'll speak, I'll speak after the game, see how he performs and then um, see what, you know, the best option would be going forward. Yeah. I, I think uh, player wise, assuming Levis starts, hopefully they're in a better mindset this week. You know, they, they come out fired up, ready to play, ready to end this losing streak coaching as you brought up there I think there's been some questionable stuff going on coaching I was not opposed to Sharaka's game plan throughout last week uh last week's contest but I was not a fan of the way the red zone was handled obviously it's very easy to criticize it once the results are out there and they're negative and obviously when I say the results I mean the lack of a touchdown for for Penn State especially in those two drives um, later on in the game that could have tied the game up completely abandoned the run game. Yep. You know, it, it, it's one thing it, cause it's one thing, like if you don't want to be too predictable, cause let's face it, Penn state, they were running a lot of just straight runs right up the middle between the tackles, both between Levis and a running back. So you don't want to be too predictable on the red zone and just run those basic plays. But at the same time, that's how you were driving down the field. And you don't want to completely abandon that. I thought they completely abandoned the run game. In my estimation, if I remember correctly, out of the eight plays, when they got inside, when they got like first and goal, um, which happened twice, again, later on in the game, they went for it and on downs, lost possession both times. So on eight total plays, I think they ran eight passing plays with, you know, quarterback who just came into the ball game is not your starter, like you said, doesn't necessarily have the touch yet. And you completely abandon the run game, which was how you got down the field. So there's a nice blend that you can strike there. And I don't think that was struck at all. So that was something that was concerning to me. I, I hope you know the red zone efficiency is better this week. Obviously, it has not been ideal throughout the entire season. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that has not been ideal. But I'll ask it to, to wrap this question or wrap this segment up. Your thoughts on this weekend? What's your score prediction? I've um, <clears throat> for the for the football the insiders the Comradio Football Insiders show. I've I've picked Penn State in every game this year. Actually, no, excluding the Ohio State game, but you know that's kind of kind of a given. Um, I, I I I was optimistic. Um, even after Maryland, I, I thought the Nittany Lions would, would beat Iowa. I, I think Maryland's in, in, or excuse me, not Iowa, Nebraska. I think Maryland's an up and coming school. They got, they've got uh, Tagovailoa quarterback. I, 
and I, I sort of justified it in my mind. Um, but after this, this showing at Nebraska, and especially with, you know, just the 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 slow starts and in the the quarterback controversy and you know the uncertainty on defense, I I I can't see. I ha- I have no faith that the Nittany Lions will will win this game. I really don't. If it was maybe if it was Michigan, Michigan State, maybe Rutgers, I, I would give them a shot. But versus this Iowa team who, who's riding a lot of momentum, um, I, I who who also has a a very a very good defense, a top twenty defense. They allow the third fewest yards per play in the NCAA at at four point two. I just can't see this offense getting on track. And this is not the game for them to 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 find their rhythm and you know to get their feet under them I, I just I can't see it I mean I guess in a, in a in such a you know in 2020 anything can happen but this team hasn't clicked and like I said this this isn't the game I'll say 27 to 10 I wow um I will never pick against Penn State because I think that's bad juju uh it's going to be obviously it's being realistic. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a close game if Penn State were to win. I'll say 27 to 24. Penn State gets the win. But we'll see. Saturday 3:30 and it should be interesting. Whether that's positive, whether, whether that's negative, it should be interesting. Um but we'll wrap up this pre-recorded podcast of No Boundaries Connor Griffin, Zach Donaldson as always with our regular weekly segment where we talk about some unrelated uh, non-sports stories that we saw in the news on social media that we want to bring up and address on this show because it's been on our mind. I'll I'll get us kicked off with the fleets, which Twitter just introduced. It's essentially Twitter's version of the Instagram story of the Snapchat story. I hate it. I think it's so dumb. And I've already seen so many people adopt it. And I'm like, I don't like this at all. And it really kills me because it's distracting people from actually putting content on the timeline. You know, people are like, oh yeah, I, I could put out this tweet and it could be up forever or I could put it up and it'll only be up for 24 hours. And then there are no consequences. Boom, I'm going to put it on my story. And it's just taking away from the experience of scrolling through the timeline. I also hate the view of it. I hate the layout, how it's the circles on top and it's distracting me from looking through my timeline. It's irritating. And I also, lots of time, I talked about how people are moving their content from the timeline to the story. Lots of time when I'm on my timeline and I see like a video that I want to check out later, but I don't have the time to look at now, I'll favorite it. I don't even know what it is. It may be a video that I really shouldn't be favoriting. (laughs) Like it might be inappropriate or whatever, but I I favorite it. And I use my favorites or my likes as a way of going back and finding stuff that I wanted to check out earlier. It's my way of like bookmarking stuff. You can't do that with the story. So if there are people who are moving stuff over to their story, it's like, I can't, I'll have to remember, I'm sounding so like, you know, first world problem. I'll have to remember like, oh, I got to go check out that person's story. And, And I did a video about it the other day, how the destruction of social media apps typically comes about when they start copying other social media apps twitter for a very long time i loved because it was completely unique and it didn't really borrow from other apps 
This time it does. I think it's going to be a negative move for the program, for the program. I'm talking about his college football. Uh, It's not going to be a good move for the company and for the app. And I'm going to be definitely following how it progresses because it's interesting to me. And I I don't like it so far. Maybe it'll grow on me. I don't think so. But definitely something to keep in mind. What do you got? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a fan of it either, but we'll see. Maybe it'll, like you said, maybe it'll grow on me. <laughs> Mine's kind of, <laughs> I don't really know what to think about mine. I, I was scrolling through uh, Twitter this morning, speaking of Twitter, and <laughs> I came across apparently the <laughs> the Vatican is <laughs> investing, investing, investigating Pope Francis for liking a model's Instagram photo. Really? <laughs> yes, a very scandalous uh, photo. Um somebody discovered that it was liked by by pope francis and the <laughs> the vatican is apparently investigating this so i'm very intrigued um to see how this you know plays out so it's a i don't mean to, it's a bad might be a bad look for catholic church coming from a, a catholic but I, I, I just i just thought it was so just outlandish it was it just i don't know i felt like it, it was fitting for this segment that's a real scandal no that's great <laughs> i didn't know that i'll have to look into that yeah, I saw it on Complex. Complex. Like models. I don't know if you follow them. I don't follow them, no, but I'll check it out for sure. Wow. That's good to know. Definitely, you know, makes you question your allegiance, you know? Uh, yeah, you absolutely. Do. But if the Pope is out there liking stuff with, you know, IG models, I don't know. I do not know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, I, I can see why that could be a, a real problem, though. So I'll yeah. be tracking that. I know you and I will probably be texting about that as well. That's funny. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up for us here on No Boundaries. A little bit of a light show today, but definitely glad, definitely glad that we could come on here and talk about some of this stuff, even though our show was taken off the air yesterday. And this was going to be the last week of our show before the break, you know, on Con Radio. Unfortunately, we didn't get it, but I'm sure we'll still be doing stuff over the break, over remote uh, learning period that whole time for Penn State. So, We'll work it out, and when we do, we'll get back to you guys and let you know exactly what the deal is going to be moving forward with our podcast, show, whatever you want to call it. But until then, Zach, where can they find you? Yes, sir. You can find me on Twitter at ZachDonaldson underscore, um, and you can follow the the account, the show's account, at No Boundaries and Zero Boundaries. There we go. And you can follow me at Real C. Griff on Twitter and Instagram. But until then, I guess that's going to do it for us. Connor Griffin, Zach Donaldson, signing off here on No Boundaries, Episode 9. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Peace, everybody.